At the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus told his disciples this. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. They did not know the things which were spoken. They had another agenda. They thought something else was going to happen and so they couldn't see it. It's interesting because over the next few days everything that Jesus said was going to happen happened. He was given over to the Gentile authorities, the Romans. And he had a mockery of a trial and he was scourged and whipped and crucified just like he said he was going to be. And most of the time when these little uprisings would occur against the Roman Empire, they would crucify the leader and that would be it. It would be over. But the Jewish leaders knew that Jesus had kept on talking about a personal resurrection. And so they were determined to keep his body in the grave. They posted their own personal security guards right in front of the tomb. They were going to make sure that that tomb was sealed. Listen to Matthew 27, 66. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. It's just another example of God's incredible wisdom and power. If it had been the Roman guards, they were known to take bribes and someone could have said the disciples bribed them and, and, and pulled the body away. But because it was the religious leaders' very own personal guards, they knew that Jesus had risen when that stone was rolled away. And Paul, he didn't argue the resurrection. He didn't say, well, that's a plausible thing. He just quoted eyewitnesses, pointed to each one that was right there, even in his lifetime. He said, Jesus, when he rose, he appeared to a couple of the disciples, and then he appeared to Peter, and then he appeared uh, to James, his half-brother, who hadn't believed in Jesus. Jesus' half-brother didn't believe that Jesus was God until he rose from the dead. I guess it would be hard to believe your half-brother's God, wouldn't it? It would be kind of hard to believe your stepbrother is God himself. But after he rose from the dead, James believed. He became the first pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And then it says that Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. He appeared to these men and women over and over and over. It wasn't just a, a, a one-off kind of thing. It was burning his image, his resurrection into their hearts so that they could burn it into our hearts down through the ages. But it, it's interesting because still at, right after this, the, this crucifixion of Jesus, his disciples still didn't get it. They didn't get the whole story. Maybe we have never gotten the whole story because you see resurrection is more than, than just a, a historical event that happened. It's a power that changes us today. It's a God power. I, I, I read this week about a little girl. Um, her name was Julie. Her granddaddy uh, wanted to see if she knew what Easter was all about. Julie's four years old and he went to her. She had a little friend playing with her too and he said, Julie, uh, can you tell me what Easter's all about? And her little friend piped up first. He said, Easter is when you wake up in the morning, the bunny has come in the night and hidden eggs all over your house. Some of them are real, and if you don't find them, it stinks after a while. Because <laughs> we found one two months later last year. 
And he said, uh, and, and some of them are plastic and they've got um, a little piece of candy or stuff in there and that's what Easter's all about. And granddad goes, no, nah, not quite. He said, Julie, do you know? And she said, yes, granddaddy, I know. Jesus came and he was crucified and they put him in the tomb and granddad was so uh, proud of her, you know, and she said, I'm not finished, granddad. And so there came a big earthquake and, and the, the, the tomb, the, the, it, like the, the big stone rolled open and the whole town came out to see. And they were watching to see because if Jesus came out and saw his shadow, <laughs> oh, not quite, <laughs> Julie. Six more weeks of winter. Now, you know, it, she almost had it, but not quite. And, and I think that's the case of the, the, the early disciples because we see them and they're, I mean, they're pretty discouraged. Pull out your sermon notes with me, if you will. That's right there in the middle of your worship folder. I've got some blanks for you to fill in. But in the Gospel of John, it tells us the first time that a lot of them saw Jesus after the resurrection. It says this, that evening the disciples gathered together. And because they were afraid of reprisals from the Jewish leaders, they had locked the doors to the place where they met. But suddenly, Jesus appeared among them and said, peace to you. Then he showed them the wounds of his hands and his side. They were overjoyed to see the Lord with their own eyes. Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you. And he told them, just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Then taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins and people's sins will be forgiven. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. In this passage, I think we find where the power for life change really comes from. You know, most of us at some point have tried to do better or to overcome some sort of addiction or habit in our life or or maybe to come out of a depression in our life and we find ourselves just powerless to do that. Maybe we kind of find ourselves in the position that those disciples were that first Easter evening. I mean, you can just imagine what it was like, right? The room is dark. The oil lamp is flickering shadows across the walls. The windows have been shuttered. The door is locked and barred. The disciples are cowering in the corners. They're afraid for their lives. They've just seen Jesus crucified, and they know that they could be next. They're anxious. Their heads hurt. Their hearts hurt. Their grief is overwhelming. Their fear is paralyzing. John 20, 19 says, it was late that Sunday evening. The disciples were tired. They were exhausted. It had been a long week. I mean, think about it. Just a week earlier, seven days earlier, they had that triumphal entry into the city with Jesus, and everybody was praising him. It was a huge celebration. They were so excited, knowing, looking forward to the fact that Jesus was here now, and he was going to take over and free them from their oppression All their dreams they'd waited for all their life were coming true. And then that crazy turn of events. I mean, Judas betrayed Jesus. He was our friend. I mean, in a real sense, he betrayed all of the disciples. And then they arrested him and tried him. It was, I mean, it was a mockery. It was illegal even. The whole world seemed to turn upside down. And then they killed Jesus. They really killed Jesus. And everything they knew fell apart. They beat him. 
They mocked him. They crucified him. They were traumatized. They were tired. And they're huddled there in that dark room. And you can just imagine the sense of failure that's in that room. I mean, these guys had made big claims, right? We're going to stay with you, Jesus. We're going to follow you all our life. But the minute this fear set in, they all ran away. Matthew 26, 56 says this, all the disciples deserted him and fled. They failed the one they loved the most. You can just imagine the grief and the anger they feel toward themselves for having failed, that sense of failure in the room. And they were hopeless. They banked everything on Jesus. I mean, they left their homes, left their jobs, left their families. They really believed that Jesus was here to usher in a new world order, that he was going to free the people of Israel from the oppression of the Roman Empire, that things were about to change. Jesus was going to bring justice to the people of Israel, or so they thought. But they just watched their hero die. They just buried him. Everything they believed was in question now. John 20, 19 says this, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. All their hope was gone, and doubt started to creep in. Is it really true what I've been taught all my life about a Messiah coming? Are the scriptures true? Everything I believed? They were shaken to the very core. Everything they believed about God, they weren't sure if any of it was true anymore. Nothing turned out like they dreamed it would. Nothing turned out like they imagined that it would. Everything was over. Everything was ruined. They had no hope, and they really had no other plan. But isn't this really where we all find ourselves at some point in life? The same place the disciples were, exhausted, feeling like we failed, hopeless. I remember several years ago, Mark and I had been married for a few years, and we had two of our three children. David was almost three, and Sarah was one. And I remember being so overwhelmed and frustrated, and my whole world just kind of fell apart. I was so overwhelmed that this one thing that I ever wanted to do in life was to be a mom, and I felt like I was completely failing. And I remember one day in particular, Sarah, who was always a very happy baby, was crying. And I couldn't get her to stop. And she cried and she cried and she cried. And I remember picking her up and I just thought to myself, I just want to shake her, make it stop. And as soon as that thought crossed my mind, I thought something is terribly wrong. And I laid little Sarah down on the blanket on the floor. And I remember just collapsing against the wall and sliding to the floor. And I lay there crying like I'd never cried before in my life. I was so angry. Not angry at Sarah, but angry at myself. Angry that I couldn't be the thing I wanted to be. Feeling like I had failed her and everybody else. Some of you know exactly what that feels like. Some of you are there right now. Maybe it's not related to parenting or mothering. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a relationship that's failed and your family is fractured. Or maybe it's that life-killing habit that you can't seem to break. Or just that sense of knowing 
all the expectations that people have had and the expectations you've had on yourself and you just can't do it anymore. You're exhausted, you're tired, you're wiped out. You're at the end of your rope. That was one of the darkest moments of my life. But believe it or not, that's what Easter is all about. That's what Easter is all about. In the midst of our messy lives, Jesus shows up. Let me read it to you again. That evening, the disciples gathered together, and because they were afraid of reprisals from the Jewish leaders, they had locked the doors to the place where they met. But suddenly, Jesus appeared among them and said, peace to you. Jesus shows up right where we are, in the midst of our mess, wherever we're hiding, in the middle of our grief and sorrow, on the wake of our failure, he shows up. Jesus shows up. And that's the gift of Easter. And so we see that that is actually God's great gift to us. It's Easter. Easter. It brings a new hope. Listen, suddenly Jesus was standing among them and they were filled with joy. One of the other passages about this exact thing says that at first they were afraid. They thought it was like a ghost. They didn't expect Jesus. But it was him, flesh and blood Jesus. And the doors were locked and no doorknob turned, no bolt was lifted. They were there alone and grieving and hopeless. And all of a sudden, in an instant, he was there. Maybe he had always been there and he just showed himself. But suddenly he's there and they see him. And it changes everything. And that's one of the great treasures, one of the, the great uh, secrets of Easter is that Jesus is unstoppable. He can go through anything. He can come through everything. He can go where no doctor could ever go in your life. He can go where no counselor could ever get to in the deep layers of your psyche. He can go where no lover could ever go where even you don't understand yourself in some of the complexities of the deep inner parts of you, Jesus goes there if you allow him to. He goes there and he changes things and he heals things and it makes all the difference. He's simply there. His appearance proved the truth of, of everything he'd ever said. All those promises, 7,000 promises in all of scripture. And Jesus' resurrection proved them all. And he was saying, you can count on my words. You can count on the principles that I've given you to live by. Is there a halo? No. You know, a lot of paintings that will show Jesus with a, a halo appearing to the disciples. But there's no halo indicated here. He did have some battle scars, though, didn't he? He showed them his hands and his feet. He said, I won the victory. I won the war. And that brings us to the next thing, a new start. That's what Easter brings. A new hope and a new start. Verse 22, then taking a deep breath, he blew on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins. And people's sins will be forgiven, but if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they'll remain guilty. You look at this, Jesus comes to his own. Where are they? They're still in their mess. They're still in their unbelief. They're still in their grief and, and misery and confusion and anger at God. All of the things that they're feeling, he comes to them. He doesn't wait for them to get their life together. You see, one of the, the great 
misunderstandings of God is that we have to get ourselves cleaned up to come to God. You can't clean yourself up for God. You're never going to be clean. You're never going to be what, what God can do in your life if you'll just come to him as you are. And the great thing is, he actually, he actually comes to you. He seeks us while we're still sinners, the Bible says. He loved us first, 1 John four nineteen says. We love him because he loved us. I, I read this week uh, about a, a little girl who became hopelessly lost in a dark, dense forest and her parents had looked for her then they called out volunteers to look. She's like five years old. And they searched all day and didn't find her and her parents, as you can imagine, they're frantic, they're despairing, they're thinking how long can this little girl last out here? It gets dark and the police call off the search because they said it's too dark. We don't want the, the searchers, the volunteers to get hurt in the dark. So we'll go at first light of dawn. Well, you can imagine her daddy. He was already there. He's waiting at the edge of the forest. And as the sun starts to just barely show, he's in the forest looking again. And he goes away. He just felt like he should go a certain way that he hadn't gone before. And he comes to a small clearing. And there in the middle of the clearing on a rock his little girl is laying on the rock asleep. She's fast asleep, worn out. And he runs to her and he calls her name and it wakes her up. And her first thing she said, he said, is she jumped in his arms and she said, Daddy, I found you. I found you. Now, did she find her daddy? No, her daddy found her, right? But that's what our father does, our God does. You see, all down through your life, it's not an accident that you're here this morning, this early. It's God. You say, no, my parents dragged me. No, God, okay? I came for the donuts. No, God. You just didn't realize it. God pulled you here. He has a purpose in this, a plan in this, and he wants you to know that. So many people, even those who call themselves Christians, they, they view the resurrection as this great historical event, but what they don't know, it's the picture of what's happening right now, that God reaches down through time and space, and he's reaching for you. Somehow this, this being, this perfect being, he wants relationship with you. Now, he's a God of perfect justice, and because of that, he says every sin must be punished. You've got sin. There's got to be punishment for that. It demands that. You know how we get so sick and tired of like the politicians and the powerful people getting off and, and never having to, to, to face justice, you know, for what the, the little people would always be going to jail for and stuff. It's not just. It will be just one day. God's going to even it all out because he's God. But one of the things about that is we all have sin in our life. And we couldn't stand before this holy God. We would just be pulverized to dust in a moment standing in the justice and the holiness of God. So Jesus broke through time and space and took our place. That's the story of Easter. Somehow when he died on the cross, he took our sins on him. God had written a law into the universe when he built it. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Somebody's got to die. The wages of sin, death. So Jesus took that death 
for us. And as we receive that, a new power comes into our life. As we step into that, we say, I take what you did on the cross for me. I can't earn it. I can't be good enough. Are you trying to have your good outweigh your bad in some scales? Well, if you've got any bad at all, it's like, God says, even one sin, I can't have in my presence. But I've provided a way because I love you so much. When we come to the end of our emotional resources, you know what we find? We find God there. When we come to the end of of ourselves, we find Jesus there. And aren't you just kind of tired of trying to be God? Aren't you tired of trying to control everything, control the kids, control your spouse, control, try to control the world? It's not, not, you're not good at being God. There's only one God, it's not you. God wants us to know. Look what he says. The Bible says this about him. He came into the world, the world was made by him, but it did not know him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. He gave the right and the power to become children of God to those who received him. He gave this to those who put their trust in his name. These children of God were not born of blood and of flesh and of man's desires. They were born of God. If you find yourself where the disciples were all those years ago or where I was those years ago, defeated, frustrated, scared, feeling like a failure, I want you to know today that you don't have to stay there. When you step into that new start that Mark just talked about, we have a new power that comes to us, a power to change. Listen to Ephesians 1.20. How tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God. That power is the same divine energy which was demonstrated in Christ when he was raised from the dead. The Apostle Paul used the Greek word there, dunamis, here for power, and it's the root word for our word dynamite. It's an explosive power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's a power that breaks through things, a power that changes the landscape. That's the power of the resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead, it's available to us. It's a power that transforms weaknesses into strengths, and it transforms ugliness into beauty. It transforms brokenness into wholeness. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1.18 that Paul felt crushed and overwhelmed beyond his ability to endure. He gets it. He was there too, right? He was at the end of himself, and that's exactly where he needed to be. And it's exactly where we need to be. There's only one condition to experience that resurrection power in your life, and that's humility. It's simply saying, God, I recognize that I need your power in my life. I need the Easter power of resurrection. Humility says, God, you're God and I'm not. You're right and I'm not. You're wise and I'm not. I can't do this. And so I surrender it to you. And when we do that, his power takes over. You know, God specializes in bringing dead things back to life, right? I mean, if he can bring a dead body to life, he can bring a dead marriage to life or a dead career to life or a dead dream to life. That's what he does. He can literally do anything. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, literally, he can do anything. But we have to admit that we need it. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1.9, we stopped relying on ourselves and learn to rely on God who raises the dead. That's what it takes. Stop relying on yourself. Start relying on Jesus. 
It was through Jesus' death on the cross that resurrection came. If he hadn't been crucified, he never would have been resurrected. That sounds kind of funny, right? But it's true. The only way we experience resurrection power is through death. That's what had to happen. By dying to ourselves and surrendering our lives to Jesus, that's when we truly are able to come alive because that's when his power starts to transform our lives. You know, most, one of the most mysterious things, I think, on the planet is the seed. I mean, think about it. If you hold a little grain of wheat in your hand, you don't have just one little grain of wheat, right? You have the possibility of a field full of wheat, plants of wheat, the possibility of feeding thousands of people. It's generations of wheat that you hold in your hand in that one seed, right? And when that seed is dropped into the ground and it shrivels up and dies, that's when the life begins. That's when it spreads and that's when it grows. The same thing is true in our lives. That's the Easter power. On March 12, 1998, Stephen Wrigley Pfeiffer died. He was eight, year, eight days old. He was born with a really rare disease, and he never really had the chance to live. But not only did the baby die that day, something very real died in the life of his parents. Stephen Nancy Pfeiffer suffered a grief that is really unimaginable. Everything they thought they knew about life, everything they thought they knew about God came to an end that day. It died. Whatever they thought they knew about the life to come, the dreams that they'd had for their life, totally changed and fell to the ground and died that day. But you know, eight years later, CNN did an internationally televised program naming heroes in our country. And Steve and Nancy Pfeiffer were named as heroes. What happened in those eight years? to go from overwhelming, all-consuming grief to being named a hero in the world. I'll tell you what happened. In the midst of their profound grief, they decided to leave the country, and they went to Africa for a year to work in a school. They were really just kind of trying to outrun their grief. But while they were there, they saw the true face of poverty and hunger in the eyes of the children they worked with every day. And something new began to spring up in their hearts and they realized that this life wasn't about them and it wasn't about their grief and their family, but they had to pour themselves out. And as they did that, they saw new life spring up within them. And now, today, they started an organization called Kenya Kids Can. And 20,000 school children have enough to eat every day because of the work that they're doing. And rural schools all across Kenya have uh, solar-powered computer labs in their schools so that these children can learn what they need to to live in the world today. They've made a tremendous change on the face of that country, and that's why they were named as heroes. But it took their life dying, their dreams dying and falling to the ground. And through that, God brought new life and blessing, not just to them, but to thousands of children and families. That's what Easter teaches us. That's what resurrection power does. Author Fiona Jesperton says it this way, resurrection always starts in the dark, in suffering, in dying. 
I cannot find the transformation I long for in myself, my loved ones, my community, until I embrace letting go and trust that the one who created me will bring me through to new life. Maybe you feel crushed, hopeless, despairing like Paul did. That's the point of Easter. You see, resurrection power works best in a graveyard. Maybe a graveyard of shattered hopes or shattered dreams or even a broken life. That's where Jesus and his resurrection power works the very best. We're going to be talking over these next few weeks about how to break through in so many different areas of your life, whether it's depression or a, a habit that you can't seem to break or worry, some of these different things that plague us so much. And, you know, we can't leave Laura crying on the floor, right, with Sarah there beside her. We're going to find out what happened and how, how God did what he's going to do in our lives. We're going to do that over the next few weeks, but God wants to start it right now.